nobody else is doing things face to face. And I think during COVID, I saw one thing that you did with like a news station or uh-huh. something. And was that all remote? In a basement. Yep. Really? And then all of a sudden, you're looking at the whole like backdrop and trying to figure that out. I think uh, I was thinking about this coming over here today, though. It's like maybe we need more podcasts because then we can actually have conversations with other adults without yeah. our kids around. And yeah. it's like, that's what we can do. We yeah. can just have more. Um, so thanks for having a podcast. So we yeah, can actually talk welcome. about the world right now yeah. um, outside of soccer practice. Well, it's crazy <laughs> because, you know, all of this stuff has changed a lot, mm-hmm. you know, in the last few months. And, and I think it really has also made it so that it's kind of challenging to do, to have conversations with, with adults, right? Because right. we're all socially distanced and face masked up and yeah. you're, everything is kind of utilitarian. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, what's your perspective for all of this? And and uh, I mean, again, I think it's kind of weird because we are um, not supposed to be close, right? How long does that last? And yet, as like humans, what we need, like that connection, um, you know, my co-founder and I have been working on this TEDx talk right now, mm. and so as we're looking at it and kind of like the human evolution, like the tilt towards individualization completely independence on yourself um, takes a big piece of like your innate humanness away, which is, it's a bigger topic than probably what we need to cover today, but it, it's a problem. No, like, no, let's, let's talk about that. It's but it's like this self-reliance where, you know, I don't think we realized how much the community matters and how much interaction with other people matter until it gets taken away from you. And the divides that we're seeing so much are caused by like, well, this is what I think. This is what I think. As opposed to like, there's so much here that we actually have in common that we actually would agree on. We're probably 80% on the same page. So if this 80-20 rule is now just focused on this 20% that's dividing us, and now we're, we're only connecting via social media where we're creating our own worlds of the who and what we want to listen to, which just reinforces our own beliefs as opposed to connecting with others and having conversations where you're actually getting to know people who may not look, think just like you, but you're actually way more similar than different. So I'm hopeful that this kind of global reset that we're on actually puts us on a better path, but it's scary because we're definitely at a tipping point right now where it's like, how is this going to go? It's hard because when you, um, when when we're building up the things that are keeping us connected right now, mm-hmm. it you almost never, like you said, ever disagree with somebody for everything. Right. It's very, but that's what we see. Yeah. And so it can, like you said, it's isolating. Mm-hmm. We turn towards things that that we know, and there are things that we disagree about, but we can't get to the fundamentals of how we disagree about them, so that mm-hmm. we can at least understand each other better and maybe even change our minds. Right. There was an interesting podcast I was listening to and it was, now I'm trained, it's um, Revisionist History mm-hmm. by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. Have you listened? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've listened to any of those, but one was, um, it was on, it was actually on like the Jesuit way of arguing, which is you basically get down to the very fundamentals because right. of, and this was actually on how you address problems that are novel problems. So problems that we've never seen before. Mm. So like a global pandemic, we've never seen this problem before. Right. How do we actually address it? And how do we get back to like the pieces of the puzzle that we all agree on? And so in his um, talk, he was saying that there was a group that got together of Jesuits that were like going through this process. 
and trying to figure out, it was probably in the 60s when they were trying to figure out um, like new church doctrine. And the pieces of the puzzle that they had gotten on the same page on, um, everybody came from different perspectives, different, you know, there's lay people, clergy, um, professionals, and they all came together. They all actually ended up agreeing on a lot of the pieces of the puzzle. As they got out of that conversation, they all asked why got asked why they were um, why they agreed, and it, they went back to principle. And it was like, well, well, that's not why I agreed with you. Like, so hmm. that was a complicated, probably description of it. But it was like, if fundamentally we do agree, now why I agree with that and why you agree with that might be different hmm. principles or values that we have, but we actually still agree on that. I, I feel like there's just not enough conversations that boil it down to, in essence. What is the root cause or the root piece of the mm-hmm. that we're com- having a conversation about? And if we can get there and then start going back up, which is hard because right now all we're getting fed is the sound bites and yeah. ways to think as opposed to actually diving deep and saying, okay, what are we actually doing here? And are, are we actually solving the problem? Are we having a very strong perspective? Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today, I had a great conversation with Jessica Charlson, who is a co-founder of a company called JobShare Connect. And uh, we had a really fun conversation about COVID, about the evolving aspects of our our work, uh, both for optometry, but also outside of optometry that could play a role in the type of people that we want to hire. And so it was a really fun conversation. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and share it with your friends. We've been providing myopia control treatments in our practice for years. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, CooperVision has received FDA approval of its innovative MySight one-day contact lens. This will be the cornerstone of a comprehensive myopia management approach to be offered by CooperVision. This daily wear, single-use contact lens is the first and only FDA-approved product clinically proven to slow the progression of myopia when initially prescribed for children 8 to 12 years old and when compared to children in the control group wearing a single-vision one-day contact lens. Check out the show notes for all the specific prescribing details and to get more information about this lens and how you can begin to offer it in your practice. But like, what's your perspective on masking? Um, I feel that whenever you talk about, um, any of these major decisions, it's what's the risk and what's the reward. So, um, and what's the pain that you're having to go through. So you kind of do a bit a cost benefit analysis of masking. If the cost of wearing a mask is it's, it's a pain and it's uncomfortable and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefit is I could keep someone from being from getting sick unintentionally so I may not feel sick or I may just not feel great but not really think I'm contagious and somebody else may have a pre-existing condition I would have never known that butterfly effect of me not masking and impacting that person but that risk outweighs the pain in the butt part of wearing a mask what do you think people that um feel like what what do you what would you say to somebody who takes the opposite approach? Like mm-hmm. if somebody were going to say, you know, masking isn't maybe it does help for mm-hmm. those other things, um, but maybe it does also cause other potential problems, mm-hmm. and those potential problems could potentially be bigger than 
somebody getting sick from a from a asymptomatic disease that you might have. So give a, give an example. Oh, so like let's say that um, there's a potential that uh, with masking, people aren't wearing it correctly, mm-hmm. and kids are moving it around, which is going to mm-hmm. increase the likelihood that they're going to touch something that's going to mm-hmm. put on the mask, and then they're going to touch their face more, mm-hmm. etc. Or, you know, again, I'm I'm just grasping yeah. things. Or maybe it's the case that um, that we put a lot of faith in. Maybe the the problem with masking for some people would be that the that we're putting a lot of faith in masking. It's like a false, right? Exactly. It's a false protection. It Correct. It makes me feel protected, but it's not actually protecting right. me. And so then, and so then, like they would say, well, that might be that might be a detriment that that we're not really exploring mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're just saying at the very least, masking is a as no cost. Right. Baseline that doesn't have any harm. And what if there's a potential harm? So what would be the other option then? Oh, no, I I would just say that um, maybe the other option is... Because uh, I think then you need to have the other alternatives. Like it's like if this is the problem, right? Like if masking is not the right solution, then what is the right solution? Because otherwise you're just fighting for one versus the other where it's like if, if masking allows us to get back out in public, that to me is bigger than us. Okay, the other yeah, alternative yeah, is like totally. you can't get out in public then. Except that, um, except that, what if the mask makes no difference whether you can get out in public or not? Like for example, um, you know, I dropped mm-hmm. my daughter off at school today. Yep. And when you come in, uh, and by the way, like we mask. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> but um, but like uh, we drop her off at school, mm-hmm. and it's uh, there's signs that say masking on campus. Yep. And social, keep your social distance six right. feet. Right. Well, if you're so- social distancing, what's the point of the what's mask? What's the actual point of the mask? Yeah. It is. Or is six feet not magical? Or right. is the mask not, not magical? magical? Which I feel like is the biggest problem right now. It's like there's no easy, nothing is no, easy. That's right. Like there's no easy. I, I, we get invited to things and it's like, eh, I don't know. You know, we didn't do baseball this year. Then other people did do baseball. And then our little guy is bummed because he's not doing baseball. Now, could we have done baseball? Should we have done baseball? Like, it feels like anything from going to the grocery store to figuring out what you're doing with school is just like, there's no easy solution. And I think the overwhelming, like, people's overwhelming, like, just feeling crushed by every decision then says, like, there's a mask. Okay, if this is a solve, I'll take it. And so nobody's diving deep to really, like, say, like, okay, let me actually do the homework. Let me actually figure out if this is smart or right or figure out alternative solutions. It's just like, just throw something at me. Yeah. And it's probably like, you know, taking an Advil for a chronic headache. It's like, you're actually having a bigger problem here. You're not root causing yeah. this. Yep. You are actually just mas- masking yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's, I, I think that's the kind of, the, the point that I like to get to mm-hmm. is that I think most people agree, unless you're just going to look at a meme that has a, you know, a picture that has no evidence behind it except to say, you know, a mask that is blowing stuff out or somebody's blowing stuff out without a mask on. Right. And then that's 90% transmission. And then you go all the way down to 1.5% transmission right. when we both have masks on. Like with no evidence, no, right. just, and, and how many people look at that and believe it? Unless, and it starts quoting it to other people. It's like, correct. well, I saw this thing on Facebook and it's a <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yeah. And all it was is a picture. Like exactly. I could put a picture right now that said masking is 100% effective. Exactly. Uh, or toilet paper was 100% effective. Exactly. And people would, people would, we would be like, okay. See, told you. Yeah, exactly. Evidence, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, um, so I think, I think getting to that point to at least acknowledge, like mm-hmm. here's where I, I really have the biggest problem 
is that we have to at least acknowledge that our solution may not be a solution that's hugely effective. Right. And so like all of the all of the stuff that gets done, like let's say we shut things down. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you recall, but what we were supposed to do is shut things down for several weeks. In yeah. Nebraska, it wound up being about six weeks yep. where people like for us, we were limiting our care to urgencies yep. and emergencies or people were shutting their businesses down completely. Yep. And that was supposed to be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Well, did we flatten the curve? Yeah, it looks to me like we flattened the curve. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that... Um, that we were looking to do is, so we get on the other side and then what's next? Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is that whole six weeks, we had no idea what what next, what the, the thing that next would be. Right. And then the thing shifted. So it was, we're flattening the curve. Then we're going to, well, we got to open up safely. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? Okay, well, let's start masking. And then there was, there was no mandate in Omaha, but, right. but let's mask. And, and most people did that. I think yeah. for the most part, people did that. But then- the numbers kept increasing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is, is that when you look at that, everybody talks about numbers increasing, but numbers are going to increase unless we get zero infections. And right. that's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen with any right. infection. We've right. had diseases like, I mean, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, mm-hmm. herpes. I mean, I'm just picking mm-hmm. up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like even just the common cold. Right. It's been around forever. Right. We never get to zero. So if if our idea now is, um, is that we have to get this not increasing, mm-hmm. then we're putting a lot of weight on a mask mm-hmm. when we don't know that that's going to make the the level zero. Right. And that's well, the problem. That's what problem I have is that we're throwing something at mm-hmm. it with this expectation that it's going to completely plummet whatever the thing that we want to do mm-hmm. is. And it may just not. Well, and there isn't the expectation setting of like, what is the ultimate goal we're Correct. trying to get to? And I think like, it happens so often in business. It happens in, you know, communities where it's like, here's a problem, throw a solution at it. But it's like, well, what's the actual goal we're doing? And what's the actual problem we're solving? And taking that pause now, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. We We didn't know what we're doing. So it's really easy to uh, critique. But now, but as we look back at what happened this spring, it... it that lack of a goal and a lack of a like, what are we actually solving? I mean, that uncertainty was what was almost, I mean, it was what was crippling in, in our household because you didn't know totally. what you were actually fighting for. Yeah. And until you have that clarity, I think most people would say the strat- the the strategies and tactics can change. If we're seeing like, I mean, if you think of anything, if if what we're doing isn't working and getting us closer to the goal, then we can adjust. Yes. And I think most human beings would say like, yeah, adjust. But I think the fear of not being perfect, of not defining, of not clearly laying out plans and what we were going to measure to get there, like what are the metrics we're trying to hit? We don't know. We don't know what that is right now. Even now. And then it makes it feel like this is just one big political, that we're all just pawns in this and it it's scary because yeah. it's like, are we making decisions because they're the right decisions? Are we making them because the people who are the loudest are talking about them? And do we trust anyone who's in leadership to be giving us real information? Because you dig two inches deeper on anyone and you're like, oh, this is disappointing. Who am I trusting right now? I know. Um, which is scary. That's where, that's where the technology... And the paths that we've taken, again, have, have quite honestly probably held a lot more people more accountable to making good decisions, but 
also put them in a very fearful spot to put themselves out there in any way because of it just opens you up for a lot of critique and attack. And, yeah. And, and especially critique and attack in, in situations where you have no ability to respond thoughtfully right. or, um, or like you said, get yeah. to the, the root, root of cause. the disagreement. Right. right. And so if we're not having those conversations or trying to have them in social media, it's like, I, I had an interview with a political candidate uh, a couple of weeks ago, or politi- a politician. So um, we were interviewed by our congressman, um, Don Bacon. Mm-hmm. And so their office, and it was for startups. And so I think, and startups and how startups helps the economy and how they create new business. I don't feel like anybody would really disagree. Like we should support people who have ideas. We should help make it easier. We should make it easier for people who are disadvantaged to have an opportunity to start a business and follow their passions. And yet, he posts anything on social media and it is this... Now, it's Hmm. more than we get. It's probably not more than any politician gets, but it's this influx of just hate Hmm. and attack, not of us or our company, but of just him. And it's like, stop. This is not helpful what was it what were the attacks if in your mind when you watched those what were the attacks mm-hmm. like what was the underlying theme of those attacks um just because he's don bacon he's, and he's don an bacon R and- um he um you know we're talking about we're talking about startups what about other jobs what about this so it's all the other problems that people are having right now and i do think it just people um i wish from a, a politics standpoint and i did not think this is where this podcast was going to go it's fine it's fine we could look at it and say regardless of if i agree or disagree with this candidate and with this agenda Mm. how can we work together to find the common grounds and 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 i think you know politics division really boils down to usually like four or five key issues and then there's 10,000 other things that these politicians have to deal with every day. Yeah. And so if we can just hone in on, okay, I may or may not like Don Bacon and his policies, but I really like how he's taking the time to talk to startups. Yeah. And I like how he's trying to make a clear, cleaner path for us to be successful and listen. That's a step. Yeah, totally. And so I respect him and his team and... I would respect him and his team if they were a democratic team right. doing the same thing. And um, again, building those relationships and having those one-on-one conversations is where you start to say like, you know, I'm impressed with what you've done, with what you've pushed through to get through, with how you've gotten here. And, you know, we're not going to agree on everything, but let's let's really focus on what we can work together on and build and impact a lot of people and help a lot of people as opposed to just paralyzing ourselves with fighting against the same brick walls we don't like anybody that doesn't agree with us on everything right or or even the one thing that we might think is in is appropriate and so like so it happens all the time i mean in in my profession Mm -hmm. um you know we have a kind of varied or wide spanning probably Mm -hmm. um political just like any profession right political bent and and yet if we're all fighting for the same goal, mm-hmm. then we can be a, a lot more powerful in advocating for our patients. Yep. And so, um, so that's kind of historically how our profession was was uh, was has had, has evolved is mm-hmm. through those mechanisms from a legislative standpoint. And um, and now what I'm seeing and what I'm concerned about is that when you see these um, 
kind of offshoots. Now, mm-hmm. I'll, again, uh, I'm going to talk about this because I think it does matter. But what I'm seeing in a profession is things get fractured. It, it is, I'm seeing things where it is, well, um, women in optometry. Mm-hmm. It is, um, you know, uh, eye care perspectives um, from black optometrists. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and those are great. Like, I, I really think that's great, mm-hmm. honestly. But what I'm concerned about is it fractures the profession more. It's dividing more. us as opposed it's dividing to us. us so, so our one unity is our is like what do we do to serve patients mm-hmm. collectively? Mm-hmm. Like we don't we typically I've never seen anybody that's like liberal optometrists mm-hmm. or conservative optometrists mm-hmm. or um, Asian. I mean, maybe there's Asian optometrists. I don't mm-hmm. know. I haven't seen them vocal mm-hmm. at this point. Maybe that's not something mm-hmm. that. But I guess the point I'm I'm trying to make, and, and it's a it's a dicey point that mm-hmm. I'm going to make, right? Mm-hmm. Is that those things are important, and mm-hmm. as a collective unit of optometrists, we need to be concerned mm-hmm. about women in optometry mm-hmm. and, and black eye care, right? Mm-hmm. And, and black optometrists, we need to be concerned mm-hmm. about that. But my my biggest uh, concern is that it's dividing us among things that we are um, that aren't really unifying and moving us toward that same goal of being able to manage our patients and take care of patients better. Well, and I think what I would say is, because um, women in leadership has been a passion of mine personally, mm-hmm. um, my co-founder is a minority, and so she's faced problems and issues that I haven't faced. And there are things that um, you don't understand until you've walked in someone else's shoes. So it would be wonderful if we could recognize these problems that have been created totally right. over centuries and said, okay, because let's now you be part of that conversation with women optometrists because if we can identify those problems and the hurdles that they have been up against or that people of color have been up against, it's like, let's work together to build those solutions because we're all better if there's more diversity and more um, different experiences in those leadership levels. Like it's, that is the piece. And you guys, across the board, again, you share the same values. That's right. But what are those problems? And I I think my concern is, because I I do believe those women in leadership groups and those, the groups that spin off are helpful because they help you find other people who look like you because there aren't enough role models. There aren't enough people who Hmm. you've said have done this before who can help you and say, how have you navigated this? Here's the pieces of the puzzle that I'm feeling like, are you feeling this way? And like being able to build that community is, I think, important because they're not readily available everywhere. However, if they problem solve within themselves, that's what actually you might not get as far as fast because if you were problem solving with a progressive group that, again, doesn't look just like you, you can come to those different solutions more quickly. Yeah, And I think that's where... Um, you know, if we look at how we've evolved technology over the the last, you know, decades, but really over the four industrial revolutions that we have witnessed as a society, we're in the fourth right now. And so up till now, it's always been how to get further, further, cheaper, faster. Mm-hmm. It's like better, cheaper, faster. So that starts with steam coming out and then it's mm-hmm. to cars and then it's to technology. And now our technology is talking to each other. Our technology is you know, we're talking on technology more than we're talking with each other. So we're not actually unlocking the power of humans and what humans can do and what thinking can do. So we've used and leaned on technology for centuries 
to do what we can do faster. Now we have all these tools, like we could hit a pandemic and not really stop right? and continue to like move this, um, move our business offline and push actually ourselves further as how we think about work and life. However, if we don't connect, if we divide and don't share that information with each other, if you're not really interested in women in optometry, that actually becomes a problem because they're going to go solve their own problems, right. but you're not part of that conversation and not part of that solution. So how can we be sharing and valuing what we're and bringing together more than separating? Well, and that's, and that's my, that's my thing. Like um, for this one classic example of this, and he's been on the podcast before his name's Adam Ramsey and he's mm-hmm. a great guy. I really mm-hmm. like him. And, um, and he, uh, he has he's kind of uh, evolved this um, black eye cares perspectives and what mm-hmm. their goal is to have the, the idea of again I haven't had him back on to talk about mm-hmm. this yet but to have thirteen percent um, of of every you know every every aspect of optometry mm-hmm. being uh, black because mm-hmm. that's that's the population yep. and so um, so I haven't explored that idea with him too much but uh, the the reaction about not being a part of the bigger system right mm-hmm. so so what happened that I saw was that one of the optometry schools made this move to not use a standardized test on entrance for their entrance exam. Okay. And so, and, and he, he was right. I mean, he was absolutely right. He's like, you made this decision without even talking to us. Like you thought this was going to be a a part of the solution. Uh And and he's right. Like the, so here it was a classic example of like, Oh, well, we think this is what you mean. So we're just going to do this. Right. And that's what I get concerned about is, is like, and and we'll take from a, from a standpoint of women in business because uh-huh. that's what you do. But uh-huh. the 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 challenge is that okay, well, you have your collective group mm-hmm. within that that is important that mm-hmm. does provide value, and even I see the value mm-hmm. that it provides. But then, how do you incorporate black eye care perspectives or or women in optometry into the larger picture mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't feel forced, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that feels like from from women in business mm-hmm. that feels fulfilling to you but right. also that you're part of the team as opposed to an outsider working toward a different goal. How does that happen? You know, I I've thought about this a lot because I think I've like I even look at this as it's again a society issue. It can go down even to how you're giving your money and how you're sharing your money and who anyway, but to answer your question, I think you have to have some type of leadership organization that has represent of any organization, the leadership team has to have representatives. That doesn't mean that that has to be the group running it, like the, running the company. Um, because I, I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of considerations that go into who is running your company, but who is making the decisions of what is the priorities and the goals of your company needs to have that diversity at the table mm-hmm. and talking and part of that conversation. And and so that means that in those strategic sessions, in those strategic planning sessions, when the optometry board is getting together and saying, what are our goals that we're working on this year? You need, everyone needs a, a voice or a perspective at some point in that process to make sure that you're not leaving something out. Because I think what happens so often, and this is where I feel like even from men and women's standpoint um, and leadership, I think men are fantastic about executing a plan quickly. Hmm. Um but what ends up happening is sometimes those outlying, those like the waterfall effects aren't necessarily thought through. So we have a lot of stuff going on with school right now. And I think plans come out 
And then you have moms often who are like, well, what about this, 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 mm-hmm. this, this, right. this, <laughs> so many, so many, this is, and this is, but it's like, those are actually valid concerns and need to be considered. So then if the plan is, even if the plan is from a small few, if a larger group of trusted people who are all in the same values stream of like, we need this to be the best organization it can be. We want to have a respectful conversation. It might get a little uncomfortable. It might get a little like, Ugh, I, didn't, I hadn't thought about that, which is more work. And I think that's the hardest part of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, we need to move quicker. We need to get this plan out. We need to hit our goals. We need to hit our numbers. All of those things are important. But if you're not k- taking a pause and doing the work to consider how we are moving forward and to make sure that you're not leaving something on the table, um, then what ends up happening is those groups, end up, any of these groups end up feeling like you're not listening. Right. You don't care. Right. It's lip service. And then and that's that like, worse. anger starts yes. to fester. That's and, worse for anybody. Right. And the assumptions, like you might say, like, of course I considered women in leadership in this plan. And I'm like, you never talked to me. And who'd you talk to about that? And actually, you didn't think of X, Y, and Z. If we would have had a conversation, I would have told you that in a second. And we could have probably come to a really good solution together. Sure. And you would have said, you know, we could have come to a good solution together. And so I think that's the piece, you know, um, with diversity and inclusion and all of these issues, it's like, we have to be bringing people into into the conversation. We have to be getting perspectives that don't look like ours. Because there's so many pieces of this puzzle that you would have never even thought of that can actually make it significantly better. But again, it's, it's, it's hard work and it takes time. (laughs) And so when, so that, that kind of brings to, um, you know, when you and I, so you had, I think when, so we've known each other for a long, long time Mm -hmm. since high school. Mm -hmm. But when, um, when I started, uh, kind of, well, when I started iCode, I reached Mm -hmm. out to you to help Mm -hmm. me with some, some marketing Mm -hmm. things and, um, some, uh, and so then right around that time, I think it was within a year or mm-hmm. so, you left kind of a corporate yep. job. Yeah. And um, and so I, I don't want you to, I mean, I know you, you, I don't want you to kind of bash other things, but in the things that we're talking about right yeah. now in that corporate en- empire, mm-hmm. did you see some of the things that you're talking about occur where minorities or women or weren't at the table to have the conversations and decisions were being made? And how did that impact kind of what you were doing in the, or what you're doing now? I think none of it is intentional. Yeah. I think if you talk to the leadership, and I had talked to leadership in a lot of the companies I had been at, um, and they would be the first to say, I don't see color. I don't care if you're smart and driven. I don't care. I want you at the table. What you don't under what they're not seeing though is the paths that it takes to get to the table from other people and like helping to be able to like identify, oh, hadn't thought about that. That actually because my life working and especially in Omaha, um, a traditional work model of a uh, uh, husband being at home and a wife or a husband being at work and a wife being at home is the norm and the norm for a lot of the people who are at the top. Um, and so they're not, I remember I was in a meeting once and we were talking about childcare mm-hmm. and for three kids of mine to go to childcare, it's over $30,000 full-time mm-hmm. childcare. So I had, th- uh, three under five. Um, I remember saying that in front of the CEO and him looking at me with a jaw drop. He's like, it would almost make more sense not to work. Mm. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it would. And then there was two other guys at the table who was like, yeah, my wife had a cutback so that we could do childcare. And 
he was blown away. And he said at that point in time, like, what about if I found a way to provide a benefit that took 90% of the child child care costs out? Like, if we hit these goals, what about if I could do that? It's like, changes lives. Yeah. Changes lives. Because literally, like, that $30,000 is cash. That's not... I right, mean, that's right. not that's pre-tax after you've money. Paid that's taxes on it. And, exactly. Yep. That's cash. And so like these issues that I think working parents today are dealing with are not what the working parents 20 to 30 years ago are dealing with. Um and I think then what ends up happening is you again start solving within your own self and for your own family and for your own problems, but then what can happen too is you're looking you're looking at a situation where you're like I'm at home with my kids, which is best for my family, but I'm missing a piece of me that actually is best for me. Mm. Like, you know, it, and and I think if you look at different paths of people and what they want to take, I think some people would kill to be at home full time. That's all they would want to do. And other people would say, I love my career, but I wish I was home more with the kids. And then there's like a lot of hybrids where it's like, I wish I could have both. I worked so hard for the first 10 years to get where I was in my career. And then now I'm stuck because mm. if I keep pushing, I'm not going to be able to hit soccer practice because of these leadership roles that I want to be doing. And I want to be at soccer practice because I only have a certain amount of time with my kids. And so that, that's kind of the mindset of, I think, women of like all the downstream effects of there's a limited amount of time to be with your kids and to raise your kids. Um, and based on what life throws at you, if you have healthy kids, if you have kids who are follow the normal trail of, you know, school, um, you're faced with those. Now, my co-founder, um, you know, is a PhD in organizational psychologist, got pregnant later with twins and the twins um, were delivered early at 31 weeks mm-hmm. and in the NICU. And so now you're dealing with NICU babies and needing and wanting to be there and keep them alive and then Mm -hmm. also like to thrive. And so she opted out. And so she's 18 months in and she's just feeling like, what happened? Like I'm, I'm missing this whole other part of me. I've gained this big part and I wanted to be able to be engaged and be there, but now I'm missing. There's a hole of me. Mm -hmm. I was, I was doing the corporate, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week and loved my work, loved what I did. But at the same point was like, I was, my kids at that time were just starting to get into um, extracurricular activities. And, um, you know, I have a dancer, I have an athlete, I have a five, five to six year old who wants to do everything. And I don't want them to miss that. Now, these are, again, really nice problems to have, but it was like the models and how they're, the work models and how they're set up wasn't actually solving it. It was, there was full time to do the work that you loved. There was part-time, which usually meant you gave up the work that you loved, but you stayed in (laughs) and you got paid less, but potentially still had same expectations of a 40-hour work week, or you were home. And it was like, okay, well, none of those work really, which, so how can we work within the model to create something new? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, when Gina, my co-founder and I got together, we were doing a ton of future of work research and a ton of global research on like what what are other countries doing and we came across job sharing job sharing so job sharing wasn't your idea no job sharing is it is common not new. across the country no it's um very common globally okay um it started but it actually came um started in the u.s in like the 70s um 
And are these any type of job or is it, is it, um, is it usually like an executive type of job Mm -hmm. or what, what, what are, what's your experience? So the place where it works the best from our perspective and what we're focused on is this 10 years plus experience that you're now combining together. So to fill one full-time role or position. So I think about even you, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, I I love my optometry. I love my entrepreneurial career. I love my family. I'm not going to job share my job as a dad. (laughs) So (laughs) if, if I look at my other, the other things I have on my plate, you know, if you're here with me talking to me, there's not somebody treating patients. And it's like, if you had someone who was a, a, a carbon copy of you, potentially, but that loved the stuff that you don't love of your job, Mm -hmm. but was equally committed to everything you were professionally. um, And you found that person, like you now have the continual coverage, you now have the brain space to be here and not kind of have that nag in the back of your head that you're not doing something. The patients are happier, you know, you're happier, business productivity actually ends up going up. That's interesting, because that's kind of the model that that a lot of at least a lot of eye doctors kind of work on mm-hmm. when you own your practice is, mm-hmm. is that, but we don't think about it as job sharing. Like I, I don't think, Oh, I have Lindsay Barrett in my practice seeing patients today so I can have these conversations and right. work on my practice or work on the other things I want to, I just think, Oh, well we, we have patients we need to take care of, but, but we're basically job sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I job share with my dad and right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there's a lot of like softer models of how that can look. But so now imagine if you were hiring for someone mm-hmm. and you put out a full time, like you're not going to do a part time optometrist. Right. But now if you open it up, so it was full time or job share. Now you can pair two people into that mm-hmm. um, role together. And so, so common questions that would uh, that right come up when I start thinking about job uh-huh. sharing is, all right, well, I've got two people that are going to do they're going to sp- split the amount of time that one full-time mm-hmm. person would do how how does that impact like my coverage for their insurance or my or their other benefits that they get cuz now i'm thinking okay well i've got one person but i've got to have multiple benefits for their health insurance mm-hmm. instead of having that one person how does where that I, work? how does that work so that it's funny because, you know, you talk about all the benefits of job share and yeah. then it's like, whoa, this feels big. And no, it's yeah, not that's standard. exactly right. It's right. Exactly it's not right. standardized. And so that's where Gina and I came in and we're like, why aren't more people doing this? Yeah. Because because it's hard. It's hard to find a match. Yeah. The logistics are hard. The match is hard. Like it's yeah, not find something. Two people to two do. Two people. Yeah. Exactly. Two people to do that job that actually could look great on paper, but or like mm. a keyword search. But actually those values we were talking about, those work ethics, yeah. like even logistics of a schedule, like those pieces are hard. And so if we can take that off and then also help the employers with onboarding, um, if you can go find a job share partner, fantastic, go do it. But if you need help, that's where we can power that and say we can put that through. So we created um, a proprietary assessment that goes through kind of the values um, and values and logistics, you could say, Mm. of of what a job share person should have to be successful. And so we take that person through that. And so then we look at the logistics of, um, which then does hit time and also benefits. So from a benefits standpoint, um, because that's the other big question, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes because they are taking, you know, you're in half salary mode, um, you have a spouse that can cover you. And so they can offer benefits. We've had employers who are who say, 
okay, we don't offer benefits for job share or we only offer 401k and we only offer like a couple things, right? But we're not offering everything. Stuff that scales with the amount of money you're making anyway. Exactly. So it's like, we'll give you some benefits, but we're not giving you health, which is really what it comes down to. We can also look at that team and say, you candidate need benefits, you don't. Mm -hmm. So we'll prorate that on salary. So now instead of each making 50, one makes 35 and one makes 50. Right. Um, so then they're able to each take home that she's still at she or he's still able to. Um, That's interesting. Is it mainly women that you're working with? So it's women who get it. Ah. Um, but it's been interesting because we built it for us. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of <laughs> dove in and we were like, wait, this is actually really good for pre-retirees. This is actually really good for entrepreneurs. This is actually really good for millennials mm-hmm. who. And so those use cases were kind of peripheral, but then started to pan out. Like we had a guy who moved here to be closer with his grandkids, was an accountant, had 40 years of accounting experience, loved accounting, mm-hmm. um, but wanted to be closer to his grandkids. So had been retired and then was like, I would really like 20 hours of good work. Yeah, Like I don't want to be doing these jobs that I can do as a job, but it's not the work that I love. Right. And so he was interested in job share. We have another guy who's 30 and has a pretty stable, like he has a consistent job that is intense during periods, but then dead during periods. And he's like, if I could take mornings and weekends to do a job share mm-hmm. as opposed to, cause my afternoons and nights I can't do that would give me, that would help me like make a little bit more money, save a little bit more. I've got nothing else going on right now. And I'm right. like, that's also perfect for someone who potentially does now want to remote uh, teach their kids because their school just got shut down. So if you can take my morning and I take the afternoon, I can, I can make that work. Um, but so from a benefit just to close the benefits loop. So you can say, we don't offer benefits. You can do a hybrid model or there are some, um, individual insurance providers that we've partnered with Mm -hmm. to say, there's actually good options out there for you. We just don't want the benefits piece to be, um, the deal breaker. And so we work with the talent for that so that the, and we're making sure that expectations are crystal clear with the employer and the talent. So if both need benefits and the employer won't offer benefits, that's not the right match. And so we're doing that work so that the employers and and the talent doesn't have to, because the worst thing that could happen is you get to the end and it's like, I have to have benefits. Right. You're like, I I can't offer. Yeah. This isn't the job that you, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Well then, um, who, what kinds of companies are you mainly, um, like, uh, do they hire you kind of on an ongoing mm-hmm. basis to just sort of, okay, we, we have this idea to um, be able to be more accessible to more types of people. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to, to, um, to start that conversation? Is it, is it the talent first? Is it the company? I mean, how does that all work? Seems These logistically. These are all really good questions yeah, no. that like logistically as we were getting started, we're like, yeah, piece of cake. And then it's like, nobody <laughs> even knows what job sharing is. Yeah. Okay. We, we have to start a little bit. This has been a slower ramp than we probably had originally anticipated. But um, originally we had said, let's let the talent pool guide us. Let's see who's interested in this. And then that will help us do our rinse and repeat because in any startup, it's like hone it in, figure out who you're, figure out who you're solving the problem for first and then expand. Mm-hmm. Um, our talent pool grew pretty organically and has over 25 industries represented. Mm. 90% have a bachelor's plus. It looks like um, 
there's a, a good portion of people who are full-time who would leave for a job share opportunity. Another mm-hmm. untapped group that would re-enter the work share workforce for a job share opportunity. Um, and that untapped part is one of the areas where we're like, there's a big opportunity here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of very smart, educated people who would love to work, but can't work 40 to 60 hours a week in a traditional capacity. Right. Um, so we've slowly been building that talent pool. And it's actually just because of talking and things like this, that's grown pretty well on its own. Um, the first companies that were interested in this were progressive small businesses. There are people who are like, I can't find anybody. If you can find mm-hmm. it, great. Yep. Um, so very ad hoc. So it was more like a job, like a, a job search tool. Yes. For them. Like I'm, I've been trying to find a full-time person. Yeah. I can't find a full-time person. I need them to do a ton of stuff. I am potentially hunting for a unicorn, but <laughs> if you could help me find them or if we could combine two people for said unicorn, fantastic. Right. Um, and then it's, then actually one of the small businesses and ironically these have all been women led companies yeah. <laughs> um referred us to a friend her friend who's the president of QLI so Pat Kearns um over at QLI was someone too who we were able to then meet with and she saw the opportunity of like how could this work and how could this look um where we think our opportunity is for the future and is we've talked to a lot of larger corporations mm-hmm. um And everyone has that person in their mind who is saying, hey, if I could have offered XYZ a job share, could I have kept that person? And today, what has COVID has fast forwarded is Mm -hmm. people are now leaving because they have to figure out how to do school and work. They're leaving their full-time job. They're leaving their full-time job. And so if we can offer them a job share, now job sharing is not the solution for everyone. And we wouldn't recommend that it is. Um, There's thankfully some other people in Omaha who are really coming up with progressive other solutions like um, on-site tutors and that are coming into businesses. Um, That's so, I mean, that's so, I mean, it's interesting and it is going to be a natural solution to the things that we're doing here. And I guess to kind of wrap up kind of the conversation we started with, with, with masking, but you know, uh, are are we if we're not going to be physically in school and right. people need to be physically doing their work or mm-hmm. but then we're going to put schools essentially mm-hmm. in businesses mm-hmm. or um i mean it just it just like daycare daycare oh, right. the kids aren't wearing masks in daycare right. and they're fine and they're fine right it's so, crazy you know so something about the kids i mean again you hear you know kids are not spreading the disease kids are spreading the they're disease super carriers are just yeah, like sick, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. But but I guess so. That's very interesting. Then that they're thinking, okay, well maybe we're going to use some job share tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, because productivity can't stop. Because right. what we figured out. So in the spring, everybody kind of got this natural like out yeah. of like we don't know. We're trying to figure it out. If you're not productive, just get exactly what you have to get done to not die. Right. And then as now we've mm-hmm. gotten into the fall, like productivity, it's like we're actually ramped back up. Everybody is remote if they need to be. They're working where they need to be. Like business is not stopping. And so when we've talked to we're talking to some employers, they're like, our employees continue to ask for more flexibility. We want to give that to them. But, you know, this is actually putting our business at risk now because if you can only work 20 to 30 good hours and that's what you're self-reporting, yep. the reality is, <laughs> am I really getting that 20 to 30 hours even yeah, from you? Interesting. Like, what are those downstream effects? Um, it's interesting because this productivity and, um, 
flexibility conversation was actually happening before COVID too, with a lot of these like scale up companies that are very just millennial heavy. Hmm. And so as they're offering sabbaticals, paternity leave, maternity leave, like all of these things that I think, again, as an employer, you would love to be able to offer, but it's like the work still has to get done. So I can't have you leave for three months. But if I had somebody who was at least part-time continuing on, if I had a half of a person, I feel like it's this whole, um, (laughs) this COVID thing has gotten you to this point where it's like, hybrid school would be horrible. Well, then you're all remote. Hybrid would be amazing. Like all of these things. That's right. Okay, well, you're gone for three months. That's horrible. Well, I would never do a part-time person in that time. Well, if I had somebody who could carry the torch half the way and to just keep this moving or maybe scale up over this maternity leave or paternity leave and then scale back down, like, okay, that actually sounds a lot better now. Yeah. So I think um, evolving the work model was something we were talking and future of work was something we were talking about last year at this time. And now it's something that honestly, we probably fast forward to 10 to 20 years mm. in like <laughs> as a, a civilization. Yeah, everybody like, has. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe remote, uh, okay, maybe I could have a remote person. What about if you had a proxy person here, but a person in Seattle because you don't have enough tech talent here and they're in Seattle, but you have somebody in the office 20 hours a week. Yeah. Now. Well, we did, we found that like during April when we were basically limiting our care to urgencies and emergencies and we're seeing, we're planning, we were in the office from eight to two. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a lot of our people like, and we didn't know, okay, we're going to cycle through teams and do half this day, half right. that day. And then we, we wound up just the same team was going to be with the same doctor so that if there was was a spread, because we didn't know. Yeah. So if there was a spread, then we would be able to have that isolated. And um, But people were working from home. Mm-hmm. And what we, we started thinking was, is, and we were all the phone calls were shifted easily because we do voice yeah. over internet. So right. all those phone calls were shifted to somebody's cell phone. So the person that was physically in the office mm-hmm. never had to answer the phone. And we've since then kind of gone back, but it, it really started making me think, okay, if we could have somebody that was really well-trained, mm-hmm. that was really good, um, could call patients, take the, their phone calls, yeah. coordinate, and, and then, you know, a lot of that can be done off, you know, offloading and offsite, yeah. and then they don't have to be physically there, and yeah. you never have to hear the phone ring unless... Right. So anyway, I think there's a lot of those types of things that happen mm-hmm. that um, maybe that is perfect for a job share, right? right? Where right. I'm not thinking of it as a job share, but but yeah, you could have a person that's there for, you know, that's, and and by the way, like taking phone calls in a medical, medical practice mm-hmm. is not just like, oh, it's easy. Like right. you're checking insurance, you're making sure that their patient's eligible and right. that is, I mean, so it is a a higher skilled job mm-hmm. than just like transferring phone calls to yeah. a different professional, mm-hmm. and um and so yeah I mean you could have somebody that wants to be there essentially from maybe eight o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. till noon and yep. noon to five or yep. noon to six or whatever yep. so um and what you find out like with that's where that model works really good in like shift type work where it's clean handoffs is like you can split a day however you want to right. um. When you get into more uh, areas where there is probably more shared strategy and a lot of and that's team what you building, work on. that's our yeah. more our sweet spot. That's where you find actually full days in the office, so like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then a full like both team members Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mm. and they kind of hand the baton off right. at that point. So they're sprinting. They have time to because really the magic is when you have two different 
perspectives that can like say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Like, like I said, we're working on this TEDx talk right now. And Gina, my co-founder is such a deep researcher Mm. and it for me is equally painful and wonderful because I'm like faster, faster. Like I can get the talking points and go, but now what we have gotten to is so much stronger and better, but where I can come in and be like, okay, I see what you're saying. It's a lot. How can we distill that into a way that we can quickly communicate it and, you know, be impactful. Yeah. Um, so you see, we see it, um, as co-founders, like we are, it's called, I mean, when you start really getting, it's called top sharing, but we're sharing, you know, we're both equally committed to this business working. We both can cover for each other. Um, but we both bring completely different perspectives and experience and expertise to the table where, I could not have done this business by myself and she could not have done this business by ourselves, by herself. Um, but together it's like, we think we're, we're onto something. Yeah. We're still here. <laughs> well, so no. Um, so then the, who pays you? Do the, do the talent pay you? Uh-huh. Do the, I mean, how does that work? So because we do have a pretty heavy upfront um, assessment, we take them through the proprietary assessment for our talent. We take the talent through today. Um, an assessment that's validated for actually the role. So selection assessments Mm -hmm. are um, the other key piece to this. And then we take them through a chemistry check. We have them actually do some work together. And before we interview Mm -hmm. them, we need people who are really vested. Mm -hmm. And so today our model charges them $99 Mm -hmm. that they, as a deposit that they are refunded once they are placed with us. Regardless, they get um, the assessment results. They have coaching. They have, so they get a lot of feedback Mm -hmm. and guidance um, and so what we found from all of the talent that has went through our process, even if they haven't gotten placed, it's probably closer to a $250 value right. of coaching and like helping people get ready to go into the workforce. Um, the employer pays us 10% uh, per head, basically okay. of that annual salary. Okay. So if it's, if you have a person, they pay it one time, they pay it one right. time. Um, so today, so today we're very ad hoc. So if you today had uh, someone on your team that said, I need to be home for remote learning, can I do a job share at least in the school year? You would say, okay, let's try this. This will actually potentially, if we scale up after COVID, this right. will give me two people here, right. a pre-vetted person that I could yeah. potentially go into full-time. Um, so then you would pay us 10% of that combined annual salary to match. And then if you also said, I can't uh, find a person in this role, then it's 20% of that combined annual salary. So if you can't find, say that again. You can't so. find a full-time um, right. person. If you can find a job share team instead, right. Right. Um, then it's 20%. It's 20% of that yeah. annual person. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So let's say um, people want to reach out to you. Yep. Where do they find you? Uh, uh, Jobshareconnect.com. Um, so we have a website. Uh, you can, we're on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook. LinkedIn, um, all job share connect. If you search on any of those, you'll find us. Like I said, there's not a lot of job sharing con- companies in the United States. So, um, we're one of the, we are the first matching, um, company here. Hmm. So there's a lot of people in Australia and the UK, um, a lot of European countries doing this really well. Um, there's actually even in Sweden and in a couple of countries, there's people running for political office. So as we take this all the way back, there's people running for political office together and mm. who have who have seriously won. So Sweden, um, That's interesting. I didn't know this, but it's divided into a very rural and urban. Mm. Um, so kind of d- down the middle. So this 
candidate there um, had one person who's from the rural area, one from the urban area. They ran together and it's like Holy they cow. win because then all of a sudden <laughs> I'm yeah. not really worried about I, I'm worried because I know I need it to get elected, but I don't really get it. And, mm. you know, you That's think about that. So. Gina and I have joked a lot about like even this year we're like wouldn't this team be a fantastic job share because it is a lot of these big jobs are so big that it's like asking one human being to do it is a little impossible so I mean if 10 years from now we have let's try and get a woman in office before uh, (laughs) there's a lot of probably steps to get there first but yeah yeah wow um, yeah cool so it's we think the opportunity is way bigger than just us but we're doing our little part to try and standardize it very cool at least here yeah jessica charleston thanks a lot for coming on thank you chris this was fun appreciate it